there, it's Gary Parish. It's Saturday, November 24, 2018. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me. And we usually record on Fridays during the season, but we didn't yesterday because I was traveling home from Maui and because Friday's slate of games um, was so good that it, it was always better to just let them pass and then discuss them on Saturday. So here we are. Obviously, Friday isn't typically a day filled with college basketball games, but but during the end of college football season, it is because basketball could barely get on TV on Saturday. It's why, for instance, the um, Advocare Invitational goes Thursday, Friday, takes Saturday off, and then plays Sunday. They ain't really trying to let anybody rest. They just have a hard time getting college basketball games on Saturdays right now because of college football. So Friday was loaded, and the best game on, on paper, and, and I guess in reality, it happened in Brooklyn. Kansas 87, Tennessee 81 in overtime. Second top five matchup of the week that lived up to expectations. Diedrich Lawson, he had 24 points, 13 rebounds, five assists. Matt Norlander, you were there. Fun game in Brooklyn, right? Gary Parrish, I was there, yeah. And I love the fact that you and I, CBS, we had it covered both sides of the country, literally. I mean, harder to get further apart than uh, than Brooklyn and Maui. And two top five games in a, in a span of three days. We, you know, we, we seldom get top five matchups, as you mentioned on the previous podcast, in November. This was the 13th one between two top three teams in November. And uh, to get two top five games in the span of three days, let alone like this, this doesn't happen every season. I'd venture to say it happens maybe once every five or six years, if that. Uh, and both games were great. So that's a good thing for college hoops. We got, uh, I think we got to learn plenty about Duke and Gonzaga and Tennessee and Kansas. And at Barclays Center, um, you know, Kansas didn't get off to the best of its starts. Uh, Quentin Grimes is in a total funk. I spoke with Bill Self afterward, and he said it's all mental. It's showing up in practice. You know, you and I both saw Grimes come out and play well in that debut game against Michigan State. He had 21 points, but since then he's averaging six points, shooting like 32% from the field GP. And uh, what I wrote uh, for CBS Sports overnight in the columns at tvsports.com right now is this. If you want to believe Duke's the best team in the country, I'm fine with that. Even if even though they lost, if you want to think it's Gonzaga, I'm fine with that. But like Kansas has been almost featureless. It's still undefeated. It's top five in offensive and defensive efficiency. Watching that team up close against a Tennessee team, that is dudes, man. Those guys are men. They've got at least four guys who, from a build standpoint, look like they could play in the NBA. Not skill-wise, just off the bus. If they were in an NBA roster get walking into an arena, you'd totally buy it. And Kansas is still 5-0. and Two neutral court wins against top 10 teams. Dedrick Lawson has been good, but even Self told me, like, we're kind of getting a different guy each night. It was great to see Dedrick do what he could do tonight. K.J. Lawson, his brother, not his twin, was very, very good as well coming off the bench. And so my whole point is... You know, the fact that Kansas is still undefeated, it played uh, Marquette went on a 22 nothing run, played a Vermont team that I think will be in the NCAA tournament, Louisiana, which is the worst team has played, also uh, a quality team in its league for a, for a low major. It's kind of a scary thought, GP. I mean, maybe Duke will be the best. They've been the flashiest. We understand why Gonzaga. It's easy to see why they've got such great talent. Kansas hasn't put this all together yet, and they're still 5-0, and top five in both offensive and, and defense. They could really turn this thing around. Once Grimes still starts to get going, Devin Donson doesn't make so many uh, mistakes. Uh, Udoka continues to get better. We know what Deidre can do. That's why this is a lot of why I had Kansas number one in the preseason. I, I, I still would have Kansas number one right now, so this is my way of turning it both back to you on thoughts on that. And I don't know how you've adjusted your rankings. I know you put Gonzaga number one after they beat Duke, but after Kansas beats Tennessee GP, two top ten wins on a neutral court, are you going with Gonzaga or KU as the top team in the country? 
Saturday morning's top 25 and one. Uh, we're recording this right now. It's 1145 Eastern on Saturday. Um, it hasn't published yet, but when it publishes, Kansas will be number one. And, and as I write, I didn't, I'm not a big fan of dropping a number one team uh, without it losing. I've rarely done it in the history of the top 25 and one, but I'm also not a big fan of being stubborn just for the sake of being stubborn and applying rules where they don't need to be applied. And, you know, there's just no way to wake up on Saturday morning, um, take a fresh look at everything and not conclude that, that Kansas has the best resume in the country right now. Now, I do think that on November 24th, this early in the season, you can't purely rank on resume because, you know, different different teams schedule differently, and some some programs just haven't given themselves the type of opportunities that Kansas has already um, had on, on its schedule. But still, uh, a neutral court win over Michigan State, a neutral court win over Tennessee, um, another win, top forty win over Marquette. That's a Marquette team that subsequently also in Brooklyn beat Louisville in in overtime so three top 40 wins Gonzaga's only got one top 40 win right now it, it's it's obviously the I, I think the the splashiest of them all they, they beat Duke in the Maui Invitational title game but I, I just think Kansas has got the the better resume right now so I did move Kansas to number one Gonzaga's now number two Duke number three I kept Tennessee at number four and you know, Tennessee could be sitting here right now uh, with a win over Kansas, perhaps if Grant Williams doesn't foul out. When he fouls out toward the end of regulation, I don't want to say the game was over, but it was always going to be tough because, you know, you were sitting there in the building. Um, they were going to him as often as possible down the stretch. He's a terrific college basketball player. Bill Self, uh, after the game, said we might not play a better player all season, the rest of this season, than uh, Grant Williams, and, and that might be true. He is He's terrific. And so Tennessee losing him – uh, put Tennessee in a bad spot uh, in that extra five minutes. But still, uh, the result was Kansas with the victory. Kansas number one, Duke two. Uh, I mean, Gonzaga two, Duke three, Tennessee four, and I still have Nevada five. Nevada beat UMass on Friday to improve to, I believe, 5-0. and And Nevada's winning its games by – and 6-0, rather. And Nevada's winning its games by an average of 22.3 points. So they don't have any big wins yet. But they're doing what they're supposed to do, which is completely overwhelm outclassed opponents. You agree then, right? Kansas should be number one right now. I definitely agree, and I'm glad you got him there, GP. Uh, if you had made me guess one way or the other, I thought you would have stuck to your philosophy and your principle and you would have kept Gonzaga at number one, which I wouldn't have had a huge issue with, but I think I just I thought Kansas was the best team coming into the season. I know we disagreed on that. And given the the opponents it's defeated uh, I would have just I would have kept him at one. I think they will be number one in the AP poll when it comes out on Monday. I think Gonzaga will get some number one votes. Um, but uh, intriguing developments within the top five, and you're going to get that overall when you've got two, you know, four teams playing two games that are top five matchups within the same week. So it'll be intriguing to see what happens there. And then just a quick side note: Virginia beats Wisconsin on Friday to win the battle for Atlantis, uh, a good win for Virginia. And it was like it was everything that you would think a Virginia-Wisconsin game would be. I mean, it was 53-46 and just all that jazz. Uh, best win of Virginia season so far. Do you have the Cavaliers at six in your rankings? I believe I do. Let me double check. Um, I believe I do. 
They beat um, Middle Tennessee, Virginia, Dayton, and then Wisconsin. Virginia sticks. If you wanted yeah. the top ten right now, it's Kansas get one, Gonzaga two, Duke three, Tennessee four, Nevada five, Virginia six, Michigan seven, Kentucky eight, Auburn nine, Michigan State uh, ten. One last thing on Kansas, and we'll move on to Virginia-Wisconsin game. Um, the thing that makes Kansas tough, besides having, I think, the best front court in the country and Diedrich Lawson and Yudoka Azabuki, um, and having LeGerald Vick play at an incredibly high level. Um, he's been shooting the ball tremendously from beyond the arc. And then having the two freshmen, uh, it's the guards are starting in the backcourt with LeGerald Vick. It's that you when you can bring Charlie Moore and K.J. Lawson off your bench, that's pretty strong. I mean, Charlie Moore is a guy who averaged – uh, big points in his freshman season at Cal a couple of seasons ago. And K.J. Lawson, not nearly as talented as his brother, but K.J. was the American Athletic Conference newcomer of the year in his uh, in his first full season of playing at Memphis. So when you are able to start Lawson as a bookie, Vic Grimes, Dotson, and then bring Charlie Moore, K.J. Lawson off your bench, I mean, that's – that's um that's something most people can't do. Most teams aren't going to be able to bring players like Charlie Moore and KJ Lawson off of their bench. Yeah, no, I think Kansas won the game because of its depth because it lost Azabuki with four and a half to go in the regulation. Uh, I thought that could be problematic because Azabuki didn't have a great game, but he had like he had a big block and then Vic hit a three in transition. Lajerl Vic actually I think went on a a singular eight nothing run for Kansas, uh, which got them the lead. Tennessee pushes back through Grant Williams in part, takes the lead back, then Grant Williams falls out with about 90 seconds to go. That was clearly the difference. I mean, Kansas had 16 or 18 points in overtime. Uh, and Tennessee's got some good players around Grant Williams, but just watching that team up close and personal, a lot of good pieces, but it's, it is it is like Grant Williams is, is the thread connecting all of them. Like, he is so vital to what they do. Love Admiral Schofield. He's got some good parts about his game, but everything uh, is built around Grant on that team, it seems, and uh, that was that was pretty critical. But, yes, Kansas won, I think, because of its depth, and K.J. Lawson had the best game of, uh, of his Kansas career. You mentioned uh, Virginia won the battle for Atlantis. They beat Wisconsin 53-46, and DeAndre Hunter is now averaging a team-high 16.8 points, 6.3 rebounds, 2.3 assists. Trivia time! Mm. When's the last time a Virginia player averaged more than 16 points per game at Norlander? Who was it? Oh, boy. Um, can you give me a... Can you just give me, like, a range on years? Is it? Are we talking, like, more than 10 years at this point? I don't know. I thought it might be. That's why I went and looked it up. It's not. It was uh, it was three seasons ago. Okay, so I'll say Brogdon. Yeah, Malcolm Brogdon, 18.2 points per game in the 2015-16 season. But nobody did it uh, to, uh, last season when Virginia was the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament before famously losing to a 16 seed. Nobody did it the year before that either. But um, DeAndre Hunter's doing it right now, 16.8 points, 6.3 uh, rebounds, 2.3 assists. And Virginia, uh, their issue, and Wisconsin's good. By the way, I talked to a Big Ten coach uh, over the past week, and he told me he thought Wisconsin would end up being the best, the best team in the Big Ten. I, I don't know about that because Michigan State, like, uh, is 5-1, and one, lone loss on a neutral court to Kansas, beat UCLA and Texas, both by double digits, to win the Las Vegas Invitational. But I did think it was interesting that a Big Ten coach told me he thought Wisconsin would end up being the best team in the league. As for Virginia, um, so they get that win over Wisconsin, and the truth is it just doesn't resonate nationally the same because the, the same way a quote-unquote top-10 win uh, resonates. Plus, it was on the same day as as Kansas, Tennessee, on the same day as, as some, a whole bunch of college football stuff. Um, but but Virginia's going to have an opportunity, 
I think it's on Wednesday, uh, to maybe you'll get its first quote-unquote signature win. They go to Maryland, and Maryland is a team that I've got in the top 25 and one. So they'll be able, if they can win it, to, to record a, uh, a quadrant one road victory. But Virginia's been operating a little bit off of the radar, but it's a really good basketball team, and, and you know, they showed it again in, in – you know, down in uh, the Battle for Atlantis. They did. Um, good start for them. Uh, beat Middle Tennessee. That's a nothing win. Get Dayton. Okay, whatever. Getting Wisconsin was the big one because it was by far the best. And now you get a chance to go on the road and play at Maryland on Wednesday. We'll obviously talk about that game on an upcoming podcast and most likely react to it after we see what happens there. Uh, but a nice battle between two 6-0 teams. Um, just off the top of my head, I wonder when the last time Virginia-Maryland played and both teams were undefeated. I don't even know how many times the teams have played over the course of their uh, of their history. Uh, it's obviously a lot, but uh, but you know both matchups, both teams undefeated, and I would think both teams ranked probably. I think Maryland's gonna gonna scoot in there. Um, that'll be pretty intriguing overall. So yeah, no, uh, definitely a quality win. You mentioned Parish, um, Michigan State, real quick here. Um, you know, full disclosure, Parrish and I, sometimes we like to wing it, so we're winging it here. So I don't know if this was on your to-get-to list, but I just wanted to mention that what happened in Vegas. Um, Texas Texas was one of the biggest winners of any team that lost, I guess. Uh, looked extremely impressive uh, over the course of two games, beating North Carolina 92-89, Kerwin Roach having the best game of his career. Uh, just uh, and they and they should have probably beat Michigan State. Now Michigan State came back and they they wind up winning by ten. Uh, Texas was up early, but overall, I mean, Texas has that win against Arkansas, and it's it's looking like uh, a team that's better than I think people expected. Dylan Ozakowski has has shed some weight and thankfully gotten a haircut. He's looking good. Mac Coleman. Decision-making isn't great, but I still think he's got a lot of good potential. And Jackson Hayes is a freshman with, with a ton there. So that was the other under-the-radar sneaky good event. Michigan State gets out of there, gets wins over UCLA and Texas. T- UCLA winds up going 0-2, and now it's behind the eight ball in a significant way. But uh, but just interesting developments there overall. I don't know how much you ding North Carolina GP for losing the way that it did. It was an entertaining game. They lose close, still fourth in Ken Palm right now. Um, and we know it's got those pair of super valuable road wins, Wofford and Elon. So I didn't know if you had any grand takeaways from that, but I, I was intrigued by every single game that got played in Vegas there. Yeah, Texas is now 5-1. and one. I've got them 11th in the top 25-1. and one. You know, I, I do pay it. You know, I, 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 make, I try to make sure the results of games matter early. And when you go beat North Carolina – and you're undefeated because when Texas beat North Carolina, it was still undefeated, that I'm just going to have you above North Carolina unless it's completely unreasonable. And I didn't think it was completely unreasonable here. So I moved Texas one spot ahead of North Carolina. And then, of course, Texas subsequently loses to Michigan State. And that was a, a competitive game, even though Michigan State ended up winning by 10. So right now I've got Michigan State 10, Texas 11, North Carolina 12. You mentioned Kerwin Roach. He had a total. 47 points in Texas's two games out in Vegas and then for Carolina you know Kobe White was a a big time score for them out in Vegas he had 19 points eight assists in Friday's blowout of of UCLA so I agree with you I I think you know know, Michigan State adding two quality wins 
um, is obviously good for Michigan State. They got the trophy, but the the big winner in a in a broader sense uh, of the four teams in Las Vegas, I, I think it was Shaka Smart's uh, Texas Longhorns. Perhaps they'll end up being the biggest challenger to Kansas, even though I, I'm not sure anybody's going to challenge Kansas in the Big 12. But perhaps if you're looking for a candidate, it, it's it's uh, it's Texas and the big loser, of course, UCLA. You know, they play two good teams, mm-hmm. but they got ran off the court both times, and I dropped them out of the top 25 and one. I don't like penalizing teams for losing games they're supposed to lose, but when you're sitting here on November 24th and you've only played two good teams and both those teams will run you off the court, then i gotta, I got to get you out of the rankings. Yeah, no, uh, problematic for UCLA. Um, GP, also – not a great run here for Florida. Just a quick note on them. They're 3-3 three and three and have lost to the three best teams they've played. Um, and Marquette was actually in danger of doing that, too. Um, Marquette gets the win against Louisville. And that's, for me, and I was talking with Woodrow Haskia afterward, you know, there's, a, there's obviously between 3-3 three and three and 4-2, and two, Marquette needed that game. And it, was a, it was a big win for them. Poorly officiated game. But Florida couldn't avoid that fate. It is 3-3 three and three instead of 4-2. and two. Loses against Butler on Friday night. Also took a loss against Oklahoma, which is looking okay. One year post-Trey. We'll see how it works out. And then uh, Florida got absolutely run off the floor in its season opener against Florida State. So, um, um, I wanted to focus on a lot of teams that have done well, but Florida's just one of those teams like zipping under the radar in terms of how much of a disappointment it's been. I bel- GP, I think you had them preseason top 25. I thought they were going to be a top 30 team for sure. Maybe they wind up being that, but they're just on the on the short list of, of disappointing teams at this point in the season. I think you would have to list the Gators as among those group, right? Yeah, I don't believe I had them in the top 25 and one, but I had them right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were, if I didn't have them, they were like, they were certainly on my list, top 30 teams in the country. You know, if you're talking about disappointments this early in the season, Villanova is probably the most high profile mm-hmm. because they took two home losses. One of which was to, to Furman uh, West Virginia is another good example. Um, Florida, like you said, been a little bit disappointing off the radar because their opening loss, and they got run off the court by Florida State. Now, Florida State's good. Yeah. Uh, you know, Florida State just Still undefeated. I, yeah, still undefeated. Still undefeated. Uh, Florida State still undefeated with victories over Florida and LSU, and that LSU-Florida game was really good yesterday. Um, but, but Florida – so they, they get run off the court by Florida State, but that gets overshadowed by the Champions Classic. Same night as Champions Classic. Mm-hmm. Nobody's paying attention to Florida, Florida State. Then they lose to unranked – they're unranked and lose to unranked Oklahoma. So, like, I don't even know if anybody knows that happens. And then they're unranked and lose to unranked Butler. So it's not, like, on your ticker when you're watching television. But Florida sitting here at 3-3 three and three with two losses to unranked teams is not something I expected to be discussing on November 24th. Not at all. Uh, we'll see how they will rebound. I still think that team's going to get in the NCAA tournament. They'll get it right. But just some early bumps. And it's kind of what the point I made in my column on Kansas GP is that, like, there are teams every year that fall into that, like, top 30, top 40 range. And they just got to get some wrinkles out. They're a little inconsistent here and there. Kansas has kind of been that, and yet they're still 5-0. and Like, they have not played really, really well. Bill Self said we've, we're far from playing a complete game at this point. He was stunned to find out that his team ranked top five in defensive efficiency, and yet that's the case overall. Um, so it, it is always interesting to see which teams can play, you know, quote, poorly and still wind up getting wins in spite of that. I think that can be a really, really good sign for down the road. Uh, some get over the hump, some don't. So Florida is one to keep an eye on, um, see if they can turn it around. What else, GP, before we get to the Vanderbilt and Darius Garland stuff, anything else? Like yesterday was – that Friday after Thanksgiving is always a weird day because you've got a lot of tournament play. 
interesting matchups, and it's always smashing against college football. Obviously, Friday night college football was insane with Washington, Washington State, and then the Big 12 going Rams Chief, or I should say the Big 12 going super uber Big 12 with Oklahoma and West Virginia. So rightfully so, like college basketball can get lost in the mix a little bit with some of the results, but I didn't know if anything from from Thursday on Thanksgiving itself to, to Friday, uh, anything else that stood out to you or just notable wins, losses, or otherwise? No, I mean, you know, Kentucky won again. They're they're 5-0 and since getting smashed by Duke. They haven't really played anybody, but they also haven't taken, you know, we mentioned West Virginia, Villanova, both took um, surprising losses at home to, to teams that are supposed to be inferior. If nothing else, Kentucky hasn't done that. Uh, so they're 5-1 and one now. But, uh, you know, all of the notable results, uh, I think, are things we touched on, except for perhaps, uh, look who's killing it into the non-league again. Arizona State. Yeah, I, I whiffed on them. I didn't think they'd be this good, but they're they're doing pretty well. I mean, yeah, they um they uh, went out to Vegas. They beat Mississippi State, seventy two sixty seven. So that's a nice neutral court win. A Mississippi State team that was in the preseason top twenty five, and then they go mm-hmm. knock out Utah State to to get um not the trophy, but the belt. The event that they were in, and I can't remember exactly what it was. Do you remember what it was? I do not. I, I, I unfortunately have lost track, but I love this belt thing. I can look it up. I don't want to be disrespectful to whatever that event was. Let me see here. Um, the game was played on Wednesday. They beat Utah State. And what is the name of the belt that the <laughs> Sun Devils got? Looking it up now. As he looks, I'll I'll do some filler here. ASU is five and zero. Mississippi State is the standout win. I mean, it's beaten Cal State, Fullerton, and needed two overtimes to do that to open the season. McNeese State, Long Beach State, whatever. Utah State's not going to be in the NCAA tournament, but still, like it's it's gotten off to a nice start, and it's going to almost certainly get to seven and zero because Nebraska, Omaha, and Texas Southern are next. And so the big game we'll look forward to is actually it's in L.A. It's part of like the Hall of Fame Classic. Um, I think it's a triple header. Nevada will play Arizona State on Friday, December 7th. So that will be a relatively huge game. And I would think that would mean that would be two, you know, Nevada should still be, you know, top five quality. And Arizona State will be ranked when they finally play that. The event is the MGM main event. So it was the MGM main event. Arizona State gets the belt. And now Arizona State is 5-0 and with a win over Mississippi State. I actually have them 26th now in the top 25 and won their 40th at Ken Palm. And this comes after last season when they, of course, started 12-0 and with victories over San Diego State, Kansas State, Xavier, Kansas. That might have been one, the best or one of the best non-league resumes anybody had last season. Um, because that Kansas State win turned into something better than than it looked like it was when it happened. Um, San Diego State was top 50. One, two, three, four, four top 50 wins, two top 15 wins, according to Ken Palm, last season for Arizona State. And now Bobby Hurley is at it again, 5-0 and with that victory over Mississippi State. Now 26th in the top 25-1. and You mentioned the injury news. Um, uh, Vanderbilt announced it today, a torn meniscus uh, for Darius Garland. He had been terrific this season, projected lottery pick. I I first saw him, I guess, a few years ago at at Peach Jam, and it was one of those situations where I didn't know who he was before I was watching him. Which is is annually a fun thing with Parrish, by the way. There's like this highly rated prospect. He's never seen him. Walks into a gym and is like, hey, I just discovered this kid named Darius Garland. 
cool beans, dude. He's been awesome. That's for two not years. the way it works. I I will start watching him, and I go, my God, this kid is great. And then I go, you know, I've got my phone in my hand, so then I like type in his name in twenty four seven. It's like, oh yeah, he's ranked eleventh in the class of two thousand eighteen. But this is like in two thousand sixteen, so he's like maybe a, he just finished his sophomore year of high school when I first saw him. So I just didn't know who he, I didn't know who he was. But um, I was I, I, I so yes, I discovered him. I discovered Darius Garland several summers ago. Um, have always loved him, and it just stinks, you know, a torn meniscus. Um, out indefinitely, for whatever it's worth, it is typically a four- to six-week um, injury. Jimmy Butler last season tore his meniscus um, in a game against the Houston Rockets. He tore it on February 23rd. He returned April 6th. He was out exactly six weeks. That doesn't mean that'll be the case with Darius Garland, but that's a decent time frame if you're trying to uh, estimate when, when Darius Garland might be able to return for Vanderbilt, but it's just the second straight year that a school, and more specifically an SEC school, has lost um, for a significant amount of time one of the best freshmen, a projected lottery pick, um, one of the best freshmen in the country. Last year it was Missouri, Michael Porter Jr., and now here we are, Darius Garland and uh, and Vanderbilt. I know that you talked to Vandy coach Bryce Drew this morning. What did he say? Uh, well, yeah, he said, uh, I, I actually, I said, how you doing? He's like, how do you think I'm doing right now? I said, yeah, uh, exactly. Um, optimism that he can return. So here's the deal. Um, they're going to do more tests. We're recording this on Saturday morning. Uh, over the weekend, they're going to do more tests. They want to get, they want to try and get more of a timeline on how long they think Garland will be out, how serious the meniscus tear is. Fortunately, it's not an ACL, it's not an MCL. There was a little bit of concern uh, Friday night that it might be that. But he he should absolutely play again this season. Um, Could be as early as three weeks, might be as long as eight weeks. They just don't really know. It was an awkward injury because he got bumped slash pushed, Garland did, in the air, landed a little bit awkwardly. Jogged down the court after that, Drew said. Uh, Vanderbilt actually lost that. You talk about you know rough losses. It lost at home to what's looking to be a, you know a solid mid-major team in Kent State. But you just don't want to drop that kind of game. And without if Garland's on the floor, you got to figure that Vandy pulls it out. They don't have him. They lose, and that's you know. Vandy was trying to get to a place where it could be ranked. We mentioned Arizona State, by the way. They will not have Garland uh, almost certainly for the game against Arizona State. That's a home game for Vandy on December 17th. Maybe they can get him for Kansas State on December 22nd. Uh, that's, uh, you know, it's a program that's going to need to get some good non-conference wins. But Drew said we'll have some more tests going forward, and we don't really have like a true guy that can step in and play the point that he could. Parrish, you mentioned that he is – I understand that plenty of people listen to the pod have not yet seen Garland play. Genuinely a fun guy watch just to make things happen on a, on a basketball court. Uh, top two point guard prospect in, you know, in this upcoming draft pool, if you will. Um, we'll see if this injury winds up being a thing or not in, in terms of where he winds up getting picked, how much he can play. Um, but, you know, let's – if you're a Vanderbilt fan, you know, hope that he's back – by January 1, turn of the new year, but maybe it gets a little bit better. They just got to do a few more tests, get a better idea overall. Uh, Bryce, was a, it was very bummed for him. He said Garland just, you know, he just is loves to play. Like, just one of those guys where, like, you know, some of these used to love to play basketball, but with him it's it's just it's another level. Like, he just he, – he gets so much joy out of – out of being a team player, playing the sport, and now this has been taken away from him so early in his freshman season, so much optimism and promise there. Um, we'll see. So hopefully they get good news sooner than later. Vanderbilt, I'll close on this, Vanderbilt needs him. Like, I didn't think Vandy 
would make the tournament this year, but I thought they'd be like one of the two or three teams that just got shut out, like one seed NIT quality. Without him, I don't think they will have a shot. I don't think they can get to the NCAA tournament without Garland. They get him back. They've got a shot. SEC is good, so we wait and see. And unless I'm blanking on something, Parrish, this is the first significant injury to a relevant team in college hoops in season play, right? Like we haven't had another one that's been remarkably big to this point, right? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I think that's it. Yeah. Which is good. I mean, you know, let's. We. You never want to see the good players injured. Period. Now it happens every season, but hopefully that we don't. Uh, we we don't get plagued with this overall. But you're right. Second straight season, SEC loses a key player, the most key player, um, in trying to return to the NCAA tournament after a little bit of time away. So we wait uh, and see what Garland can uh, can do and when he can get back. Obviously, they're hopeful it can be before Christmas, but no guarantee of that. One of my great discoveries, Darius Garland, uh, right up there with uh, the when I discovered Scalabissier mm. and when I discovered uh, the great Mickey Mitchell. You also see you also you don't give yourself credit, man. One of the ones that I have a distinct memory of because I'm it was like Jim Three at Peach Jam. You discovered Kelly Oubre, and Kelly Oubre is doing all right for himself. You know he's making an NBA career out of this whole thing. So I did discover Kelly Oubre. Yeah. Of course. I've had some really good discoveries over the years. Uh, you know, it's it's something I look forward to every single July. It's just you, you know, walking into a gym haphazardly, stumbling upon some top ten prospect and thinking, you know what? I'm going to educate the people on this dude right now because he's awesome. When I, when I discovered Mickey Mitchell, he was a top ten prospect as well. <laughs> now he's <laughs> averaging two points per game at Arizona State. And it's like his fourth school or something like that. Shout out to Mickey Mitchell regardless. You're, you're keeping on with it. We admire that. Absolutely. Shouts to Mickey Mitchell. Nothing great on Saturday's schedule. Uh, but we do get Villanova, Florida State Sunday, 1 p.m. Eastern title game of the Advocare Invitational. FSU just beat LSU, like I mentioned earlier, in overtime in the semifinals. Villanova got here by beating Canisius and Oklahoma State. Villanova's got a chance to, to – I don't know, maybe improve its resume, get back on the – Villanova's always on the national radar, but, like, they're, they're not in the AP poll coaches poll right now. Perhaps a win over Florida State could launch them back in. Do you think they get it? I don't. Uh, I don't. I can't believe I'm saying that, but I don't think they get it. Uh, Villanova is now 2-2 two and two, or 3-2. and two. They were 2-2. Two and two. It was the first time since UCLA – Seven months removed from winning the 1995 national championship that a reigning national champ started the season with two losses in its first four games. If Villanova loses uh, against Florida State, um, the most recent example of that is 14 UConn started 3-3. Three and three. Uh, I like what Florida State has. I think it's got a good shot. I think that will be a really good game. That's a 1 p.m. tip on Sunday, by the way. So get uh, if you're into the NFL and all that good stuff, get a second screen going because that is a that is a very good game. It is by far the best game that Sunday has to offer. Um, I'm I'm still not stepping off Villanova big picture. I just like Florida State's personnel, and I want to see if Villanova can find its its three point shooting at and against against Florida State's defense with the kind of wings it has. Um, I th- I just think personnel-wise, GP, that FSU matches up pretty well. Now, let's wait and see. Let's see. Let's wait and see what happens because I'll t- I'll tell you this: like if Villanova steps onto the floor and is able to win in similar fashion that, as to how it beat Oklahoma State, which isn't nearly as good as Florida State, then it's like okay, you know, Villanova had its bumps, but let's let's stop overreacting here. Um, if they're able to to knock off FSU, which uh, 
you know, has been a good program under Leonard Hamilton and has has had its ups, but it's also had its downs. Like it's really one of the most inconsistent teams that almost annually has really good talent. Like just has the dudes um, overall. So if if FSU lost this game by 15 points. It wouldn't shock me. It probably wouldn't shock FSU fans who have just come to expect that as often as they expect, like, oh, we just beat Duke, and no one thought we would. It's just kind of what FSU does. It's their whole MO. But I will take the Seminoles to win a close one. Uh, I'll say uh, 79-76 overall. Uh, Give me the Knolls. I presume you're going to take the Wildcats, though. No, I'll take Florida State as well. I just think, like, if we play this game in March, then maybe I'll, I'll feel differently. Because perhaps uh, Villanova's freshman class has turned into what it was supposed to be, but but right now I I, I I'm not going to say Villanova can't beat Florida State. Of course, Villanova can beat Florida State, but I, I don't I don't think Villanova will beat Florida State. Um, again, that the game being played in Florida is is largely um, it, it doesn't matter because mm-hmm. I don't think Florida State's like going to pack that place the way. <laughs> Uh, you know, Kentucky would if it were playing a, a home game off campus or playing a game off campus, but in the state of Kentucky or Kansas would if it were playing a neutral court game uh, off campus, but in the state of Kansas, Florida State uh, basketball fans just uh, just don't do that. But Florida State's good. Uh, I think they're better than than Villanova right now. And you mentioned like Florida State's been good under Leonard Hamilton. I can't remember the specifics, but I did a column on this a few years ago. He, Florida State has been better under Leonard Hamilton than I think people realize. I, I wish I had it in front of me right now. People could maybe Google it. But th- there's some interesting just notes mm-hmm. about, his, uh, about his tenure there that is super-duper impressive, um, even though he doesn't get uh, the same type of attention that, that other coaches do. And I think that's because they, you know he's never been to a Final Four. Um, you know, they, they've – I think the farthest he's ever been, it was last year. Yes, when, Elite Eight last season. Got, yes. Yeah, when they went to the Elite Eight. But he's never been to a Final Four. He's never had that great team. But he's had consistently good teams for a long, long time. And he is also um, uh, a man who has aged beautifully. I mean, 70 years old doesn't look like – like he looks better than me. He's be- Leonard Hamilton looks better than me at 70. How about that? Oh, <laughs> he's got – He's got only six or seven years on you, and he looks he looks tremendous. Yeah. Why do, Why is Leonard Hamilton better looking than me at the age of seventy? What in the world? He, <laughs> I love how you just you know gracefully careened into that. By the way, I didn't know where you were going. You're like, and and by the way, he is a good looking man. He, he is a he beautiful man. He has aged beautifully. I know. Yes. I don't disagree. Listen, we have talked in the past. We are talking now, and we will talk again on this podcast about the most attractive coaches in the sport. We're not going to run from it. We acknowledge this, okay? And Leonard Hamilton is absolutely putting a seat at that table. One day we will even do uh, most attractive coaches' wives. <laughs> okay. That's all you, my man. <laughs> like... <laughs> we might need to stay away from that, actually. Uh, Florida State, they're both uh, top 15 offensive efficiency, top 15 defensive efficiency. They've got a beautiful coach who's aged gracefully. And um, they're doing this without Phil Kofer. Yep. 
Like Phil Colford's the leading returning scorer on this team, and Florida State's five and zero with a win over Florida and a win over LSU without him. So that is that's an impressive start to the season. It is an impressive start, and then if you beat Villanova, even if Villanova is limping, it's just going to get you a little more publicity and uh, kind of puts you more on the radar. And if you lose, it's just kind of like okay, wake us up, start of January, see how FSU is doing there. Um, but we both think uh, we think the Florida State's going to win, and uh, and in doing so, would really put Villanova uh, behind the eight ball. That league does not have one team ranked currently. Remember that game is Sunday, 1 p.m. Eastern title game of the Advocare Invitational. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. F. Fantigle. He's the legend. Shouts to Larnell. And remember. Please go subscribe to the Eye on College Basketball podcast via Apple Podcasts if you haven't. When I looked it up um, a couple days ago under the top podcast list, the Eye on College Basketball podcast, our Eye on College Basketball podcast, it was, uh, it was ranked number one, just like the Kansas Jayhawks are in the top 25 and one. So to those of you who have subscribed, uh, thank you for making that possible. To those of you who have not subscribed yet, shame on you. You're not doing what I ask. Please go subscribe, rate it favorably, five stars, nice comments, and I think we'll talk to you again on Sunday night. Why not? I think we'll talk to you again on Sunday night. So uh, back-to-back days uh, for podcasts. We'll be back to you next week.